Welcome back to Licensed Spiel. I'm Thad Haight. I'm Carl Wonders. And we are talking about Diamonds Are Forever. And ever and ever and ever. The movie certainly feels like it does that. It does do that, doesn't it? It kind of does go on forever. Uh... <laughs> Honestly, it feels longer than On Her Majesty's Secret Service, even though it's half an hour shorter. It, yeah, and we'll get into it. I, I, I definitely think this is a movie of two halves, and I was actually very pleasantly surprised that I was enjoying myself for at least the first 45 minutes or so and in my notes i have there's definitely a shark jumping moment for this movie for me oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah so uh diamonds are forever was released in 1971 it certainly looks like a product of the 70s honestly the outfits aren't as dated as they were in the last movie that's fair i agree there there are still some very 70s bits in this but yeah i i agree with you on that uh so the film was written by Richard Maybaum originally, and then Tom Mankiewicz was brought in to do a rewrite. And this was the second film directed by Guy Hamilton, who had previously done Goldfinger. And I think as a big part of the fact that that was such a successful movie, they decided to bring Guy Hamilton back in. Uh, he would stick around for two more movies, none of which I would say come anywhere close to Goldfinger. <laughs> it's interesting that Rich. I don't know if it says this on... The wiki or anything that you read about the background behind the story of this film so richard maybaum wrote a draft originally that had a lot to do with vegas and everything as the final film does but originally the idea was to have goldfinger's brother be the villain of some sort and at one point he was going to be a twin brother of auric goldfinger and they were going to get gert frobe to come back again to play this part and for various reasons, it fell through. I have a hard time picturing that. It could have been good. It could have been better than what we end up with, frankly. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I don't know that that would have been good, but it's not like this one was either. No. Uh, and then Tom Mankiewicz... Uh, I did a little bit of reading here. Uh, Tom Mankiewicz was the son of Joseph Mankiewicz, who was a fairly well-respected director uh, of his era. And Tom had written... Uh, There's a movie that came out later, but he did apparently the book to a musical called Georgie Girl that ran for like a week. But Cubby Broccoli happened to catch this, uh, catch a production of this musical and liked it, liked the book, which is essentially the script of a musical, and wanted to hire Tom Mankiewicz because they were looking to be more commercial to an American audience and they felt this was an American who can write in a British style, so to speak. I, I don't know if I agree with that or not, but he was taken by the way he wrote this script that was all about British people in this musical and thought, here's an American who can write like he's British, so let's bring him in to do a different take on, on James Bond. Uh, they were really trying to expand uh, their their reach beyond the British audience and try to bring in more Americans for obviously for more uh, box office and that sort of thing. Uh, so that's my understanding. You can definitely see that. Yeah, and and I was reading on the wiki, and I hadn't actually noticed this before, but they were saying that this film actually kind of kicks off almost a reboot in a sense of the Bond franchise because a whole lot of the films that, starting with this one and going all the way towards, I think, probably Moonraker, there are American uh-huh. locations that we weren't getting before. And I think that has something to do with this, too. We don't have an American location in Man with the Golden Gun. We do have Sheriff Pepper. I guess you could call him a location. Uh, yeah, maybe not, actually, <laughs> now that you've mentioned it. Yeah, well, we can talk about Sheriff Pepper when we get to him, unfortunately. 
<laughs> we'll talk about Sheriff Pepper next week. Yes, we will. <laughs> oh boy, we, we'll talk about a lot of things next week. Uh, I finished that book, by the way. Oh my. Yeah. I. And I was wrong when I, I I told you over text message that there's one really good scene that they borrow for another film, and actually there's two really good scenes that they borrow for other films, but the rest of the book is fairly forgettable. Yeah. So they uh, they definitely borrowed from that one when they made Dr. No. A little bit. Um, and we also have He Disagreed With Something Who Ate Him. Yes. that's that's ends up in License to Kill. And the scene where they get dragged over the coral reef is right in. T- they use that one in... Uh, for your eyes only. Oh yeah. So they took the th- the the good bits <laughs> from Live and Let Die, which <laughs> there aren't many of. Uh, no. But anyway, that's next we can week. talk about that more next week. Yeah. When we talk about that movie. So in Diamonds Are Forever, what was what what was your feelings going in, and and did you have any surprises, or do you basically feel the same way about this one coming out of it? More or less the same coming out of it. Um, it had been several years since I had seen it. I remembered it being very disappointing and pretty weak and that Sean Connery mm-hmm. shows his age, the story isn't all that great, the characters for the most part aren't that great um, and yeah. I still have that opinion <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing, you know, we have this rather weirdly shot, I think opening sequence here where Bond is stalking around beating up people but we don't actually see him for the longest time yeah and I think that's deliberate because it's a different it's a different Bond from the last movie yeah they're kind of playing the same game they did I think when with Lazenby when they didn't reveal who he was right Mm -hmm. away but then when you finally get to see him my goodness Sean Connery looks old in this movie (laughs) oh he's so ancient yeah uh yeah um on okay so there was straight up one scene where I wasn't even sure it was Bond. I thought it was some other random guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's yeah, he is definitely not. Also, okay, let's play this game. How old is Sean Connery in this movie? <laughs> oh dear, he's forty one when this movie came out. Yeah. No freaking way. I know. Like, the that no, like I'll take fifty one. I mean, but. <laughs> 41? He, he's not quite Roger Moore of you to a kill old here. No. But he's definitely... Like, 41-year-old Roger Moore looks better than 41-year-old Sean Connery for sure. Well, that would explain why, in the next movie, Roger Moore, who is older than Sean Connery, looks a couple decades younger. Yeah. I actually went and started to watch Live and Let Die because I knew it was going to take me multiple viewings to get through the whole thing. And I was... I had forgotten how young he looks in that at the, in that movie. In that very first scene, yeah, yeah. when you see him in this, yeah. yeah, oh, he looks so young, yeah, yeah. Unlike Sean Connery here, <laughs> I think Sean Connery looks younger in Never Say Never Again than he does in this movie. Well, he definitely looks more in shape. There were multiple times when when he looks so out of shape in this movie. <laughs> oh yeah, there's some side shots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's some sh- some uh, side shots where you can definitely see the pudge. Yeah, we'll get to it. That that sh- that scene when he takes off his clothes is just so unfortunate. <laughs> Speaking of taking yeah. off clothes, we get actually a brief full frontal nudity shot of that woman in the beginning here, which kind of caught me off guard a little bit. Uh, and then, we? yeah, you yeah you, you see everything there for a second because he rips off her bikini top and then strangles her with her. With he it. does, yeah. but I'm looking at that, and her hands are like in the way. Yeah. Either his arms or her hands are it's, in the way the whole time, I, at least. Okay. Oh nope. Okay, you're right. No, you're right. You do, in fact. Yes. Yep. 
I wouldn't call it full frontal. No, no, no. Like okay. Half a frame. You, you get you get nudity. It mostly struck me because there's a scene later on that's even that you get a fair bit of skin in as well, and it kind of surprised me. I'm guessing it. Oh yeah. I mean, there's there's the, definitely yes. a difference here between seventies and sixties. What what they could get away with, I would say. Um. Mm-hmm. So, the whole premise of this opening is that Bond is trying to find Blofeld, purportedly because he's trying to get revenge for the death of Tracy, even though her name is not mentioned at all in this film. The fact that he even had a wife is not mentioned, yeah. No, it is not. Uh, it just, you could almost pick up right after You Only Live Twice, and in fact, I kind of feel like they're, that's what they're doing. They're just continuing from You Only Live Twice and forgetting that the previous movie ever happened. I... So eventually they find that Blofeld, who is now played by Charles Gray, who is absolutely nothing like either of the previous Blofelds we've seen. He does look like the informant from You Only Live Twice, though. Yeah, he bears a striking resemblance to Mr. Henderson. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, this is kind of a Bond thing, though, where you see the same actors popping up in different roles. Oh, yeah. So we find him at this weird clinic in a cave where they're doing some sort of plastic surgery on this other guy to make him look like Blofeld for some reason. And I'm not a, I'm not an expert on plastic surgery, but what type of plastic surgery involves being encased in mud? It's apparently actually dyed mashed potatoes. Yes, I did read that and that it got to smell and really now bad. Now that I know that when I look at the scene where it's going on his face, yep. it totally looks like <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I don't know. So I got to give the stunt guy props for actually being able to act in this way like because he gets buried in this mashed potato stuff and then there's one point when bond lets his head go and he just sinks into the thing and to be able to do that i i I don't know because he's clearly under this stuff and can't breathe so that's pretty why did he have a gun why (laughs) why is he carrying a gun in this tub i don't know none of this makes any sense No, but it's not the worst part of the movie. No, no, it um, isn't. Also, I feel like he shouldn't have died just by getting covered in goo. Like, he, st- he still should have been able to come up out of that goo. I mean, that stuff could have been heavy. I don't know. Like, people get people get buried alive in snow a lot. So... I suppose that's true. Yeah. I think it's more the fact that it's such a quick thing from him getting buried to Bond finding him dead. Like, it would have taken him a little while yes. to suffocate under there. No, he shouldn't have been dead when Bond pulls him up, like, 30 seconds later. Yeah. yeah. Takes longer to suffocate. But then we get walked in on but by Blofeld and some guys. One of them has truly epic stuff. <laughs> he does, yeah. <laughs> they also have lightning bolt helmets. Right. Why? <laughs> and is there a picture of a person on their belt buckle? <laughs> I don't know. It looks like some sort of, per- like a photo or engraving of a person on their belt buckles. Yeah. Do they have little pictures of Blofeld on their belt buckles? <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> uh, I don't think we ever get a close-up of the belt you know buckle, what? It, but when they first show up on scene, it definitely looks like a person. In my, in my scrubbing over it, it could be the Spectre Octopus logo. Ah, okay that that would also that would make more sense, I suppose. I mean, having having yeah, I think having right. Blofeld's face on a belt buckle would be amazing. <laughs> I know, right? It, it would sort of fit Which in with Blofeld the tone of this film too. <laughs> what are the lightning bolt helmets? Mean? I don't know. I like uh, James Bond's like, um, like mouse trap thing in it. Yeah, in his jacket. 
like just in case i have somebody else reaching in to grab my gun out of my pocket i'm gonna have this thing in there so yeah so there there's a fight that ensues and blofeld ends up falling into a pool of mud right boiling mud and then his cat screams yes like it sounded like a baby so my thought on this whole opening yeah i wish that was the end of blofeld yes i agree I mean, that would have worked. Mm-hmm. That we get this little teaser about Blofeld, we do him in. It's, it would sort of work the same way they do at the at For Your Eyes Only eventually, where they're just like, we're done with him, we're going to move on. Yeah, and it works so much better here than it would have then. Yeah. It doesn't really work at all in For Your Eyes Only because it's been several movies later. They haven't mentioned Blofeld once because they aren't legally allowed to. Right. And they just sort of throw that in there, and yeah, that it really doesn't work in that movie. And I... I agree. I think this would have worked. I sort of feel like that beginning is sort of a giant F you to Kevin McClory more than anything else. <laughs> oh, it definitely is. Yeah. The other giant F you was Octopussy making more money than Never Say Never Again. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> Neither one of those movies is any good, but anyway. No! <laughs> we we get the crying baby cat sound, like you said. Uh, which I hadn't really thought of it that way, but now that's the only way I'm going to ever think of that. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well because you hear it before you see the cat and i honestly thought wait does blofeld have a baby <laughs> uh, like, i don't remember that no no <laughs> but no it was a cat yeah it's a cat and that's what takes us into the title sequence i do kind of like how the cat eye turns into a diamond mm-hmm. that's kind of cool that's kind of cool what do you think of the song this time out it's fine yep I think Shirley Bassey makes everything a little bit better than it should be. Yeah, but Goldfinger was better. Oh, definitely. I don't need love For what goodwill love do me Diamonds never lie to me For when love's gone We get some uh, very on-the-nose images here <laughs> from Morris Bender <laughs> yeah. of lots of diamonds. Very many diamonds. And, of course, naked women, as is required. Mm-hmm. How long do the naked women continue? Like, I don't think... Does uh, Dalton have naked women? In yeah, Dalton has naked women. Uh, the first movie, I think, that doesn't have at least silhouetted naked women is probably Casino Royale. I don't actually remember any of the visuals Mm-mm. for Brosnan's movies. I know the songs, but I don't remember the visuals. Yeah, yeah, they kind of become forgettable at some point, I think. Yeah. Or, or at least they just run together, so it's like, oh, that's where that little bit's from, and that's where that little bit's from. Like, I remember certain shots, but, you know, I, I, they it tends to run together for me. Yeah. So then we have it dissolving to another shot of a diamond. Mm-hmm. And this time, M is just reading everything off the description to Bond for some reason. <laughs> They're waiting for Sir Donald to tell them to go in, I guess. I I don't know. But, like, why is he reading it? I I don't know. Because Sean Connery was bored and they wanted to make him look bored? And then he, like, is annoyed that Bond isn't paying attention. Like, why does it matter? 
<laughs> but he is paying attention, apparently. Yes. I mean, I like the fact that that right afterwards, M is telling him that he needs to shape up because he's, for all they know, they've they've killed Blofeld. He needs to move on and start doing his job again. And uh, so I, I mean, I appreciate that that Bond seems somewhat distracted or something, but and M calls him out on it. Uh, we get this time we get to see Bond being a snob about Sherry. Yep, and correcting M. <laughs> yeah, there is no year for Sherry. Uh, and the original. Yeah, <laughs> we get a lot of exposition here. Yes, that to a degree works, but it it seems like it takes a long time to get going. Yeah, I mean, I kind of like how the mine worker smuggles the diamonds out in his mouth. That's kind of cool. That's by the way, that is directly from the book. Huh. Uh, once again, I started reading the book and failed to get very far with it. Uh, but the concept of the diamond smuggling operation is is straight out of the book. And I think, you know, we I mentioned that Richard Maybaum and uh, Tom Mankiewicz jointly wrote the script. They didn't work on it together. It was a rewrite. And I think, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know this for a fact or anything, but I feel that you can definitely tell the stuff that came from Maybaum and the stuff that came from Mankiewicz. Uh, I feel that anything that actually is even remotely connected to the book itself is probably a Maybaum idea. Yeah. Uh, so this idea of, you know, the diamond mine smugglers are smuggling diamonds out in their mouth, and then there's this dentist that takes them out of their mouth and pays them in cash. Uh, and then the concept that there are these two guys, Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid, who we'll talk about, I'm sure, who are systematically killing everybody on this on this smuggling pipeline because they're done with whatever they're smuggling for and they're trying to tie off all the ends here so we first meet them in the desert waiting for the dentist and this is such a weird thing like they don't need to kill every person involved in this i don't think they do anyway i feel like they don't have to kill everyone like the little old lady and you know also i I do like their little musical cue, though. Oh, Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the saxophone thing that they do, I think, is clever. I <laughs> I was surprised actually because I haven't seen this movie in a while. Uh, I mean, I obviously remember that these two are in the movie because they're fairly memorable. But mm-hmm. I actually like them a lot. I su- I was surprised at yeah. how much like they're way over the top, especially uh, oh absolutely Mr. Wint especially like it, just his portrayal is so ludicrous. But I think it actually works. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're it does they're they are also from the book they're a pair of assassins who are gay lovers so that's not a creation of the story of the film writers that's actually in the book they're a lot more brut okay they're a lot more brutal in the book they like one guy gets sulfur hot molten sulfur poured on his face and they kill him that way and it's pretty 
obviously terrible. But yeah, it wasn't like, oh, we're in the 70s, so let's have a gay couple in this movie. It wasn't anything like that. They actually are taken from the source material. Yeah. Well, and they are clearly portrayed as uh, evil gays, which is probably the only way you could portray gays in a movie in 1971. I think you're right that they had to be the trope of the evil gay characters in in this story because of the time, which is unfortunate, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll talk about some other unfortunate aspects of the 70s uh, in a little bit here. Um, what else is unfortunate is Mr. Kid's hair. Um, or lack thereof. I mean, <laughs> it's it's interesting. <laughs> Though that, that's part of what makes it so unfortunate. So the style itself is straight out of the 70s, which is definitely dated today. Yeah. But... I could forgive that for it being the 70s. But the fact, like, if you have so little hair, (laughs) growing it long just looks terrible. (laughs) And I speak as someone who has a relatively little bit of, who also has little hair on the top of his head. (laughs) Not quite to Mr. Kid's level, but yeah, no, that looks terrible. Especially the little forelock in the front. (laughs) So the guy who plays Mr. Kid Putter Smith is actually just he's a jazz musician and I think that's just how he is. Like that's his look. Oh, I believe. So it. they didn't make him that way. That's just how it came. He came to the set that way and they just kept it that way, I guess. But yeah. Oh, I would totally believe yeah. that. But that was a poor life decision. Yeah. Yeah, so we get these cuts back and forth between Sir Donald going on and on about diamonds and Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid killing off the pipeline. Uh, you know, he, he blow, they, they kill the dentist with a scorpion down the shirt and then they give the fake box of diamonds to this helicopter that then blows up. Uh, we meet this little old lady who's running a mission, I'm guessing down in South Africa that they're going to give the diamonds to, and she goes off to Amsterdam and we find out what happens to her in a little bit, as you alluded to, I think. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, then we get, you know, more Sir Donald and M and Bond. I, I really do like the moment at the very end uh, when they're basically going to have Bond go to Amsterdam and take the place of a guy that they know is involved, uh, this guy Peter Franks, who's involved in this diamond smuggling operation. And Bond makes some comment about, you know, knowing where he is or something like that. We, we need to know where Franks is or something like that. And M just looks at him and says, we do function in your absence, 007, and does this eye roll thing, yeah, which is like I, peak I M. actually had meant to notate that, but forgot. <laughs> good also when we see franks he is way too big for his car (laughs) yeah those little uh but yeah these guys are just like are obsessed with killing everyone involved like blowing up the guy in the helicopter Uh and it's like i just feel like there's some of these were not really all that much of a loose end that you actually had to kill like what were the odds that the dentist was going to blow your plan yeah i don't know or certainly the school teacher. Yeah. I mean, it's just to set up more Jeopardy later on, I guess. Where we yeah. we meet some other unfortunate components to this overly conv- convoluted uh, smuggling operation, I would say. <laughs> yeah. that I guess that's part of the issue. Like, they kill all the loose ends, but there's so many more loose ends than there need to be. <laughs> right. Like, what is the purpose of um, Shady Tree? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I like the part leading up to Shady Tree. We're, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. But I like the concept of smuggling the diamonds 
inside a casket and then cremating the casket and then giving the diamonds inside an urn. Yeah. Like, why they couldn't just give the diamonds to Shady Tree there instead of making Bond, who's still in disguise as Peter Franks, put them inside the little nook thing. And, the, you know, it's just, it's so complicated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, we are getting ahead yeah. of ourselves. So, Bond goes to Amsterdam on a hovercraft, apparently. And Well, I mean... I was thinking about that. I'm like, I guess they probably had a lot of st- fairies and hovercrafts like that, um, because, remember, there wasn't a uh, channel yet. Right. So. Yeah. My guess is it was a relatively modern development for the time, so they wanted to show it. Oh, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Like, this is cool. They, they may actually still have a hovercraft to... Yeah, they might. I, nev- I didn't bother to look that no, up. No, they might. But, I mean... They definitely would have had more, many and varied types of fairies more than they have today because you couldn't you couldn't take the train in those days. Right, right. If it had been modern movie, we would have seen Bond in the channel fighting bad guys on the train. I'm glad we didn't get that. Actually, I am too. I, I don't need that. <laughs> but you know that's what it would have happened. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, instead okay. we get Bond going to Holland. We we do run across the dead uh, woman, the dead old lady in in the canal there. Uh, and he goes and meets Tiffany Case. Which Because she was born there. Yes. She's interesting. Yeah. I, I like when Bond makes the comment about it. That's a that's a nice almost something you're wearing. And she's like, I don't dress for the hi- hired right. help. That was good. Yeah, that's a good line. I don't know why she has all these wigs. Um, I don't either. Only to set up that also, line that I'm surprised they were able to get away with, frankly. But... Uh. <laughs> yes. Also, why... Um... How does she already? How does she have Peter Frank's fingertips, fingerprints? Well, I could see having Peter Frank's fingerprints if you know this is a well-established operation. What I don't understand is why she has Peter Frank's fingerprints but has never seen Peter Frank's. Yeah, you would think that. So either she's new here, or Peter Frank's is new. Right. Or it's not a well-established or uh, smuggling operation, and she just happens to have the fingertips, fingerprint. How do I keep saying fingertips? Yeah. Uh, fingerprint somehow. Yeah, I mean, I do like the fake. I do like the fake fingerprint that Q makes for a Bond. It's yeah, kind of a clever little thing that, and, that makes sense. And it's a good thing Bond happened to call Q about that fingerprint, otherwise he <laughs> wouldn't have learned that Peter Franks had escaped. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very true. Um. It was good that we had that scene so we could have Q in this movie. True, because that's his only scene, really, I think. Yeah. And I'm also, like, noticing that, like, Q already looks really old. And when I'm realizing that he's still in the movies for another 25 yeah. years, I'm like, dang. Yeah, I don't I don't know how old Desmond Llewellyn was at that point. But both he and... Um, Older than Sean Connery. Both he and Bernard Lee start to look pretty old quickly. Yeah, he movie. and Bernard Lee both look old and, here. Yeah. And Bernard Lee um, had major health issues for most of his time shooting bond so that i can understand um but yeah desmond llewellyn definitely looks a lot older this time out so okay so what i'm taking from this is that people in england in the mid 20th century look older than they actually are because (laughs) that could be desmond llewellyn is um 57 okay yeah, I could see. I mean, if if Bond is forty one, then I can he see him being fifty seven. Well, yes, <laughs> like if you which ex- which once you accept the fact that Bond is forty one, yeah. yes, I can say fifty seven. Yeah. But like from my twenty first century American point of view, he looks like he's in his sixties. Yeah. So 
I'm actually, you know, scrubbing through this and I'm at the scene with in Tiffany Case's flat here. What is mm -hmm. up with her decor on her coffee table or whatever it is with like eggplant and some giant garlic? <laughs> oh yeah, that is so there's like What is going on there? <laughs> Are those bell peppers? Yeah, I think so. What? I mean, she has okay. a giant bowl of fruit behind her head there on the couch, but which is yes, acceptable because people do that. But who has the bowl of vegetables? Yeah, the bowl of vegetables, I don't understand. <laughs> Maybe it's a Dutch thing. I'm just going to say this now to get it out of the way. Um, I think Jill St. John looks the part very well in this movie. I think she's terrible in this. Yeah, I would um, agree. I don't think she acts very well. No, and I think I need to take a moment here and rant slightly, and I apologize for that. Okay. Um... I think she starts a really bad trend here that we don't come out of until uh, even even in the spy who loved me. I think that this continues to a degree where we we've it does, we've, yeah. we've talked many times, in fact every time so far about the sexism of the '60s and Bond's attitude towards women. Um, mm -hmm. I think what gets lost in those problems is the fact that I would say pretty much all the women despite the sexist attitudes towards them are fairly competent and intelligent people. Uh, you have, you know, you have honey rider, you have uh, Tatiana and pussy galore and Domino and, and even like Aki, mm -hmm. uh, they all have, they all have sexist things thrown in their face, but the women themselves, I think are written in a way that if you take all that aside, there's good qualities to be talked about with them. And I think that, yeah. And that applies for Trudy as well. Yeah, and and I think and definitely for for uh, Tracy in or Tracy. Oh, Why did I say okay. Trudy? Yes, yeah, so, yeah, and and I think Tracy, Tracy. in Honor Majesty's Secret Service is kind of the peak of that style of writing, where mm -hmm. you have a very competent, almost on the level with Bond. It's especially bad in um, the Man with the Golden Gun. I think the trend you're talking. <sighs> yeah, because in the seventies, starting with this film, instead of bond treating the women badly they're either weak or less than intelligent or helpless they just they don't actually actively participate or are actively helpful very much yeah um you know they're always there's a great scene that we're about to come to and we can talk about it to kind of stop me ranting a little bit um where peter franks and bond have a fight in the elevator which is probably one of the best fight scenes in the franchise, as far as I'm concerned. I think it's great. It's pretty yeah. good. But you have these shots of Tiffany Case just cowering in the doorway. Or, you know, throughout the film you get these situations where she just kind of hides and covers her eyes or is just not at all helpful to the situation. And I think it's unfortunate. And, I, and it just really bugs me. And I really noticed it this time out. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, we And we will see this trend continue for several yeah. movies. Um, like I was saying, in The Man with the Golden Gun, it's especially bad. Um, but yeah, it definitely will apply next next week. And I think it starts... It's like... In Spy Who Loved Me, it's sort of like a mix mm -hmm. of the two Bond girl ar archetypes, I guess. Yeah, because Anya is on one hand competent and at the level and sometimes even best spawned. But then at the end of the day, she ends up needing saving because mm -hmm. you get the trope of, I need to rescue the girl at the end of the movie. Uh, it's a far cry from Thunderball where Domino's actually saves Bond's life. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I will consider my rant over, but I just wanted to call out that 
we we sort of have a new brand of sexism starting with this movie and it's actually worse i would say in a lot of ways other than if you take if you if you set aside all of the consent issues that you get in the 60s i think uh you know the sexism here is just as bad in just a completely different way i think is the best way to put it yeah rant aside uh it's not no um i like <laughs> the what made me laugh a little bit and i'd forgotten was... Bond making look Bond making out with himself. <laughs> well, there's that. Yes, because <laughs> I love yeah. that. <laughs> Which I had forgotten until I saw it again, and I'm like, oh yeah, he's just doing that to himself. Interesting. He's pretty good at that. But what's weird about that is it works from the angle we're looking at, <laughs> yeah. but it would not have worked from the angle that Peter Franks would have. No, seen it, it wouldn't. No, you're right. I'd be like, what? What are you doing? <laughs> I, I like his uh, his bad English that he does for... Yeah. You speak English? You speak English? I speak English. Who is your floor? Uh, Who is your floor? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then we get the really good fight sequence in the elevator, which I like. I like the fact that it's such an enclosed space and it's covered in glass, so you're just getting all this breaking glass every time someone tries to punch something. And it works much better than the thumps of the filing cabinets in the last Yes, movie. yes, definitely. We, we we find out that Tiffany Case has hidden the diamonds in a chandelier that looks to be in the hallway, which seems like a daring idea. Yeah, because anything could have happened. Yeah. And they board a flight to the United States. So we should also mention that when Bond kills Franks, mm-hmm. he switches his wallet for Franks' yes. wallet so that Tiffany thinks he killed James Bond. Right. And she finds this out by opening his wallet and seeing his Playboy Club card. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah because of course of course bond would have a playboy club yeah yeah i mean that that makes perfect sense (laughs) especially after he you know had such a good time with that magazine last movie oh that's true maybe that's why he he, maybe there was an application in the magazine i don't i don't know how the playboy club worked so i don't know how you get a membership it wasn't the centerfold he took it was membership into the playboy club there you go yeah that's why he took it <laughs> um so yeah so now we see that peter frank's ingenious plan is to uh or for bond as frank's his ingenious plan to get through costumes is to hide the diamonds in the body of presumably peter frank right so i have questions about this um mm-hmm. was what was bond's original plan or was he planning on killing somebody or was he planning to play the whole thing by ear maybe and if so, how did he contact the people in the United States? Yeah, I don't I know. I mean, so they so they land and they say, "Oh, we have some customs issues or something with with your brother's body because they're claiming it's his brother." And who shows up but probably the most out of shape Felix Leiter we get in the entire series. Oh, he's so bad. Uh, yeah, it's He doesn't look anything. Well, first off, he's like way shorter than the last Felix Leiter, so he had a lot of plastic surgery. Yes. <laughs> terrible also with that with the particular haircut he has which was all the rage at the time he kind of looks like richard nixon a little bit with the jowls especially yeah yeah uh which he could get bond in to see yes he could have <laughs> as much as i dislike felix Leiter, i do uh, i'm probably one of the three people because i read somewhere that cubby broccoli hated the line uh I actually laugh at the elementary Doctor Watts or Doctor Lighter line. 
Oh, no, I liked that one. That was good. I'm a sucker for a good pun or even a bad pun, so I like that one a lot. Yeah, I feel like that's probably a sort of thing that, like, I don't want to... I don't know how to say this, uh, but I feel like Alimentary Canal is probably a something that is probably more in the cultural zeitgeist today than it would have been in 71, maybe? Like, it's something that people would have heard in their lifetime more. I think it's a line that works better yeah, now. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> we meet... We meet three guys who drive a hearse that look right out of mobster casting here. Oh, yes. <laughs> Including um, a guy who may or may not be the same character in the beginning of uh, The Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah, sadly, he's billed as slumber attendant in this movie. But I would choose to, in my yes. head canon, it is the same guy. Yeah. Yeah. And he has a good scene later. Yeah, he does. <laughs> so now we find out that the plan here is they're going to burn the body... And then get the diamonds out of him because they won't burn with the rest of the stuff. And they yeah. give them back to Bond. This is the fastest cremation, I think, in the history of funerals. Yeah. Uh, so I'm like, oh, Slumber Inc. Well, that makes sense for a funeral mm -hmm. home. Uh, kind of looks like a Howard Johnson. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> roof, though. Uh, um, which actually is kind of dated because there are no Howard Johnson restaurants and haven't been for like 20 years. But anyway, <laughs> it still kind of looks like one of those. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm like, oh, Slumber Inc. That's an interesting name for a, for a mortuary. I get it. And then the guy comes out, his name is literally Morton Slumber. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and just like Count Lippy, he has a plaque on his door, even though, I mean, this is his office, but, you know, it says Morton Slumber. Uh, just because I still laugh at the gold plaque that, that says Count Lippy on <laughs> the door. Uh, I love this this like awkward scene where they just sit staring at each other, and then the urn comes out. Uh, yeah, that still took no time. No, it at took all. no time at all to. Which is interesting because if it was okay, if they burned it that quickly enough so that he could get it back. Also, they they like got all the all the ash out and polished them too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But if they had actually burned the body quickly enough for that to happen, they would have had to use some insanely high temperatures that would have melted the fake diamonds. I agree. So I I now have a question, because it, this has not occurred to me until you mentioned that they polished the diamonds. Who's cutting the diamonds between the time the dentist gets the raw diamonds from the the guy in the mine to when Tiffany, Tiffany hung them up? Oh, there's a whole chain of custody. Yeah, except there's a whole chain of custody that we don't see that the that you know well that uh, Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid killed right, but so they kill the dentist, and then they blow up the helicopter. Then Wint and Kid give the diamonds to the old lady. The old lady gives the diamonds to Tiffany. I'm thinking Case. there must have been some, there must have been some something in between. Um, Wint and Kid probably gave them to someone else to cut and. Well, the only thing that makes sense to me is that the dentist had them cut because he gives them that little cloth thing and they oh, never really point. come out of that cloth thing as far as we know but anyway this is me being pedantic i'm sorry uh yes so bond leaves the urn in the the rest the nook with the restful chartreuse curtains on it uh he he's immediately hit over the head by winton kid and then this old guy comes up and takes the urn away we find out who the old guy is later unfortunately um so, I think this is clever. Like, they put Bond in the casket, and they're going to cremate him. There's no way Bond survives this. No. There's no way they pulled him out in time. No. The heat in there would be 
excessive. But anyway. Oh, he, no, he's dead. Yeah. Or at the very least, he should be burned. Yeah. But thankfully, it turns sweating. Thankfully, it turns out that the diamonds are phonies. Yeah, because and Shady Tree is pissed. Shady Tree is not happy. Again, why is Shady Tree involved? I uh, I don't know. Uh, again, this is way too complicated of a. There's too many people involved in this. Yes, I guess it. I guess Shady Tree is there so that Bond knows to go to the White Casino. Right. But they could have figured something else yep. out. I like Bond sitting in his bathtub reading magazine uh what you do it's like he's sitting there with a magazine and then a tray that has a bottle of vodka and a bottle of vermouth on it uh but yeah so he sees that shady tree has an act at the white house boy does he have an act at the white house is he supposed to be funny i don't like i I don't know are we actually supposed to find what he says funny i'm gonna guess no like i hope not yeah (laughs) i will say that i was struck this time out because this is the first time since uh going to vegas myself at how much this reminds me of the gold coast (laughs) i was thinking the same thing (laughs) so when thad and i have gone to the star trek convention in las vegas we stay at the gold coast hotel which is off the strip mostly because it's not that expensive and it's near the the hotel where the convention's at and it's it's definitely an it evokes an old time feel let me put it that way uh that yeah like it um it's well maintained yeah. and like oh, yeah. it 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 doesn't feel dirty or dingy or no. anything but it definitely feels like a design that's been there for yeah, a long time yeah exactly it's actually better maintained than the hotel where the convention is that located. that is true which is flashy and it's 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 outdated but only by by like 10 years less than the gold coast is outdated but yeah, yeah it's much better the gold coast is much better maintained anyway um <laughs> i think guy hamilton liked these dancers because we see many cuts of them for no reason at all uh that that are just dancing in pasties um so i mentioned that i like winton <laughs> kid uh i for whatever reason i love the scene when we have shady trees act and he goes backstage and then winton kid go to talk to tree presumably to kill him and first you get the great like Mr. Kid goes in and they're like, we just adored your act. And Mr. Kiss has such taste style. Like he's just reciting these lines for no reason. And then later on, uh, the guy, we don't, I don't know if we know who he is yet. Uh, like he looked like a pit boss or something from the casino comes up to them because he says, Oh, we didn't get the diamonds. We need tree alive. And Mr. Kid just says, that's most annoying. <laughs> I forget the guy's name, but Bert uh, Saxby, that's yep. it. I was going to say, but Jimmy Dean wants to fire him. <laughs> Later on, yeah. <laughs> this is when we meet Plenty O'Toole. Yes. <sighs> now, she apparently did have more scenes in this movie that were cut out. I okay. don't know whether that makes. I more don't sense. know whether that's a good thing or not. Um, but there were scenes of. I don't hate her. There were scenes where she goes back to Bond's hotel room at one point, and then she breaks into Tiffany Case's house at one point. That makes much more sense about her body being in Tiffany Case's yes. pool. Yes. Which we will come to that later on. Uh, I mean, otherwise she serves no purpose in this film other than to have people look at her. Yeah. Uh, again, this is more seventies stuff, I think. Like this, this didn't. For all the sexism of the sixties, we didn't get a character like this so much in the sixties. Yeah. Um, I think her scenes here are just not good. I like the scene afterwards with her, or after she departs from the scene 
a fair bit actually uh but yeah you know she's she's just one of the people that hangs around the 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 craps table trying to hook up with somebody who's winning a lot of money because she's trying to get some money out of them uh she, yep. and she, she does. does she latches onto bond's arm they walk back to his hotel room and they're interrupted indeed coy just interrupts yes exactly uh, another line that I'm I, I hadn't caught for a long like several viewings for whatever reason uh, when Bond says you've caught me with more than my hands up. Oh yeah, no, I hadn't caught this one before either. <laughs> yeah, that was good. <laughs> yeah, and then they throw Bondi O'Toole out the window and she happens to land in the pool and this is where yeah. <laughs> uh, we get uh, we get uh, the gangster who doesn't have a name in this movie. He's like, I didn't know there was a pool there. Yeah, which I think <laughs> is a great good. line. <laughs> Yes. And it's like, it's these little bits that I find frustrating because I think there was a potential for a much better movie than what the one we actually get. Mm-hmm. Um, so the question I have here, so they go in the room and Plenty O'Toole takes off her dress and then wanders off. Did she run into Tiffany Case in the bedroom? Or what we find out is these gangster guys have set her up in this room because she's going to try to figure out where he's hid the real diamonds. Uh, But I mean, she was gone for a while. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, we find out that Tiffany's been hiding out in Bond's bedroom. This is where we get the unfortunate Bond undressing scene where we see just how out of shape he really is. Yeah. Uh, Not, not great. And I, I think we actually see a little bit of back hair too. (laughs) I didn't make a point to look. But it would not surprise me. I am me. now scrubbing, and I think there's a little bit of vacuum. All right. <laughs> that is on a quest to solve this mystery that has been going on. I mean, really, I could just watch Zardoz and answer the question for me, but why? Yeah, why would you want to watch Zardoz? <laughs> so, yeah, Bond and Tiffany Case uh, uh, make Boolooloo. They make Boolooloo, yeah. And then... Uh... <laughs> they, they go to the circus casino... <laughs> So I will actually say when they're having pillow talk afterwards, yeah. uh, Bond is very chivalrous to let the ashtray sit on his chest while she uses it. I didn't even notice the ashtray for a second when she puts the cigarette out on it, and I'm like, oh, thank goodness, there's an ashtray there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would yeah. have been okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, then we go to Circus Circus, which I didn't realize was as old as it, it is. Yeah, it's it's well. My guess is it was a relatively new. I've never casino. actually been no, there. I've never been but there I've either. Seen but it. Yeah, circus, circus. Feels weird to have like tightrope acts happening just above people who are just gambling. I want to know if this one woman has to go back and forth spinning around from her mouth for like how long? How long her shift is to do that? Because mm. they show her several times. Uh, again, why is this so complicated? They send Tiffany Case to the balloon game so she could yeah. win a. Why? Yeah. Win a. I don't know why it was this comp because Bond already has access to everything. Yeah. So like, why didn't he just like give her give yeah, her the diamonds in the hotel room and then trail her? Like, yeah. they're making this whole deal about how we have they have to keep an eye on her in this casino, and like you chose possibly the worst place to try to track somebody. Uh, you get the blow up your pants line, which whatever. Yeah, and then an elephant plays the slots and wins. Yeah. Which, what? <laughs> Thus begins like, okay, the... Okay, so people talk about the uh, pigeon double-take in Moonraker as being, like, the lowest point of the franchise and all yeah. that. Yeah. But this is no better. No, it really is. And 
it's one of those things where I might not even have noticed it originally just because maybe because of the way pan and scan was or something like or they cut it out on TV because it's such a dumb moment and it doesn't add anything to the film. So they cut it out so you could, you know, sell a car or something instead. The three elephants. Yeah, the three elephants on the on the, the wheels. Uh, yeah, it's it's not. I'm also realizing now that I <laughs> that we are completely wrong because we said that Q only shows up in that one scene, but here he is in the casino later playing and rigging the game. Yeah, I forgot about yeah. that. He's cheating in the slot yep. machines. He's yeah, rigging the the game here, which in real Vegas would you know get your legs broken. Yeah, I mean especially now when this this was back when the mob controlled the casinos. Yeah, I mean it might happen today too. True. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Ah, uh, but yes, definitely back then. Um, so then we get the racist sideshow. Yep, which was an actual sideshow at the, at the, at Circus Circus, yeah. Oh, I believe it. Doesn't make it less racist. They were being contemporaneously racist. They weren't just inventing something that was racist, I guess, for the <laughs> movie, so it's still bad. Well, there's a title of, the, of an episode Contemporaneous for you. racism? Contemporaneously racist. I am not calling the show that. <laughs> no, that would be next week. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> But anyway, we have the scene where the black woman turns into a gorilla. Yes. and Or rather, a person in a gorilla Correct. suit. And Tiffany escapes through the wrong door and loses her tail. Right, because this is the peak of CIA ineptitude, I think. <laughs> Why is the CIA even able to do all this stuff here in the U.S.? So, yeah, we talked about that in Goldfinger, I think, uh, where we're questioning why... Mm -hmm. They're allowed to run ops in the U.S. The only thing I... And I don't know these rules. Uh, if, since it's an international smuggling ring that happens to have a component in the U.S., I don't know if that has anything to do with anything. But yeah, why is the CIA hanging out in Vegas? I don't know. I like the shot here of, of Felix driving up to Bond only because you get a demonstration of two gloriously 70s cars. Uh, oh, they're so brown. <laughs> well, the brown and then the avocado green one that Lighter pulls up in that oh yes uh here's a question for you so they they, they confess that they've lost lost tiffany case how does mm -hmm. bond know to go to this house how does bond even know where the house is yeah. how do they know where tiffany's well, house is i feel like there's pro probably we lost that when we lost the scene where uh plenty breaks into her that house. could be yeah i'll i'll buy that because he just happens to be at her house when she arrives and we find out that Tiffany is also very unobservant because she first yells at him for for having his having her black wig in the pool. Well, then she does notice, but yes. But she also starts off saying, you made me wait two hours for non-existent diamonds. Right. Did she not get the diamonds? I think she's trying to pull one over on him. I, I think she's trying to okay. act like she's, you know, act that she didn't get anything to kind of get her get him to either leave her alone or, you know, blame somebody else is my guess. Mm-hmm. That could be. Just seems like a weird line, especially considering how the plot goes right. from here. So yes, now we have dead plenty in the pool, and uh, honestly, this is more gratuitous yeah. than the brief shot of full frontal nudity. It, it is, because she's not wearing much. What she's wearing Ooh. is not very opaque at this point. Uh, yeah, so that... Yeah. It, it. I'm glad you mentioned the uh, deleted scenes, because it did seem odd to have... First off, to have had plenty killed because she didn't wasn't really involved in anything, right. and secondly, to have her killed here. Yeah, why would they kill her at this house? Yeah, yeah. no. It, so I'm glad that there was a deleted scene that made this make more sense. And I don't, 
I'm not sure what now that we're talking about it, I'm not sure why it was cut because it explains a lot, especially if there's more continuity about how Bond knew where the house was and, and all that too. So We need a director's cut of Diamonds Are Forever. Release the Hamilton cut. Technically this is I know, the Hamilton right? cut, but yeah. yes. <laughs> People on Twitter don't know how film works sometimes, I guess. They really you know. don't. Also the Snyder there's no way the Snyder cut is better than what actually happened. Well, no, I, I doubt it. So apparently she left the diamonds still in that animal thing in a locker at McCarran Airport. I guess. Which, to be fair, is not far outside of Las Vegas. It's not out of the realm of possibility that, it's really that she not. would have driven there. And Having... Stuff, but... yeah. Oh, no, it's, like, really yeah. close. I mean, because as, as we mentioned, we have both been to Las Vegas, yeah. so we are familiar with the geography. And, yeah, it's, it's really yeah. close. So, no, that's not that weird. Also, I think... Uh, I don't know if you notice, um, but when the uh, van pulls up into at, at the parking lot of the airport, mm-hmm. we see a sign in the background which foretells a guest star in 20 years. Oh, the Wayne Newton sign. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bless your heart. <laughs> I'm actually not angry. Better choice I, than I'm Judy. not angry at wayne newton's part in that movie actually i think he's saying no no i'll take wayne newton over jimmy dean any oh, day. God, yes thankfully we don't get much of him <laughs> that's but true yeah first we're following this van driven by burt saxby they do the world's worst switcheroo here with the drivers we get some more exposition uh because we find out that willard white hasn't left the penthouse in three years and i do like this idea um cubby broccoli was not friends with but had interactions with howard hughes and you know they're they're clearly Ah, are Mm -hmm. doing a howard hughes version and i think tom mankiewicz had the idea and he was talking to cubby broccoli and he said and i think it's it's a interesting idea where he said imagine you know you have this reclusive billionaire and it turns out that he's been disappeared and somebody else has been running his company and we had no idea and i think that 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 works i think as a story the the it unfortunate does. decision is who they pick to replace Willard White, I think, in this. Um, <laughs> but anyway. But yeah, no, I think the idea works. Like, you, nobody's seen this guy, so they can do whatever they want in, in his name, and who's going to question it, right? Also, I, I always like watching, seeing, like, mundane places like gas stations and stuff yeah. in these movies, mm-hmm. because you can see what what has changed in 40 years and what hasn't. Okay. Or, Yeah. And or I guess fifty years at this point. Um, so like, the ice dispenser, they still use that same exact font <laughs> for those yep. I- for the, the ice yeah. gas yep. stations. Yeah, but like some things are different. Like, uh, well, for one, it's a full service gas station, which mm-hmm. most places in the world don't exist nope. anymore. And we had the phone booth, little oval thing on top yeah. of it, but like. There's, there's like, so much that is the same, and then there's so much that has changed. And it's sort of interesting. Yeah, I... I remember thinking of this when we watched Goldfinger, and I saw a Sunoco station that they drove past. I'm like, that's the exact same logo that they still have. Yeah, so, getting off topic a little bit, but when they were making Back to the Future, uh, I heard an interview where they were talking about how they deliberately chose uh, brands that had different logos in the 50s and in the 80s and that it was actually harder than they thought mm-hmm. it would be because they didn't they, they wanted sense. to make sure yeah. that you could tell you know you could have the most dynamic difference between the the two so that's why they 
you know they had a, the the Texatron or Texaco or whatever the station was in the instead of something else. I I don't know. Anyway, but yeah, I think that uh, if you want a Pepsi Pal, you got to. Yes, exactly. I <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I like this the the commercial design stuff too. I think it's interesting and and I still feel the same way we talked about last week about how weirdly films from this era seem more dated than films from the 60s for whatever reason and i still feel that way either the clothing or just the way oh yeah you know the color of the cars the shapes it's of the, the cars stuff like that it's the the clothing the vehicles and uh, uh the hairstyles yes. oh think, yeah honestly the hairstyles are a big one giant guy with the epic sideburns the 60s hairstyles were more or less you still see people wearing most hairstyles from the 60s today. You don't see people with those sideburns. Not normally. Well, they're coming back, though, I guess. But I least, guess. Yeah. I just hope bell bottoms don't come back. Uh, but that's in a couple. That's in I a mean, few they movies. already did once. It's true. They, they yeah. did briefly. People were making their own bell bottoms. Uh, clearly, we don't have much to say about the actual movie at this point. Uh, or we just don't yeah. want to say anything about the actual movie. Well, I mean... Yeah, anyway. yeah I mean, so... <laughs> They swap out the drivers in the van. This other guy gets in, and Bond follows him into this... Or he actually hides in the van. Uh, we find out that they're in this secret underground area, which is where all bad things happen in Bond movies. And we see it is a Willard White It is a Willard White facility. Uh, we meet Klaus Hergesheimer from G-Section. Uh, he does not look like a Klaus Hergesheimer to me, but... Um, he doesn't sound no. like a Hergesheimer either. I like Bond's little... But Bond certainly does when yes, he pretends to yeah. be him. He's checking on radiation shields, and Bond pretends to put his card in as the door's opening, and... Yeah, that was a nice little bit of social engineering there. Yeah, a little clever bit there. Yeah, I like that. I also like how they're uh, filming a fake moon landing. That's a I, nice little touch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what to make of that. I mean, other than making a joke about the <laughs> it fake... It just amuses yeah. me. Uh, what I want to know is... Bond breaks in to steal the lunar lander, and for whatever reason, the astronauts must be method actors because they're moving really slowly, like you would if you were in weightlessness. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. are. That's that it. That's a very good yeah. point. So, like, get him, and he just kind of goes really slowly and almost gets him. But uh, I like the scene a little bit with Professor Doctor Metz here, where he's pretending to be Klaus Hergesheimer and just annoying the crap out of him. Mm-hmm. Will you get out of here, you irritating man? Yeah, and the jig is up when uh, the real Hergersheimer comes. Yeah, in. so that's when he does go to the to the moon set and gets out mm-hmm. of there. And then we have an interesting car chase. We do. Um, I will say that this is probably the jumping the shark moment for me for this film. Oh yeah, uh, it's just so goofy. Mm-hmm. All the cars get break down yep. or crash, mm-hmm. and. So then, at one point, we see the moon rover come over a hill and go off frame to the left. And the car comes over the hill, rolls over, and crashes. And during that crash of the car, we see a tire roll in from the left (laughs) frame that looks exactly like one of the moon rover tires. And yet, the moon rover never crashes in this entire process. So, like, (laughs) what? Like, my only thought is that, like, just out of frame, the stunt driver driving the moon rover did crash, but they had already started filming this <laughs> car rolling over, so they didn't want to reshoot right. it. No, I think, I think you're 100% right there. <laughs> it's just yeah. funny. Just random w- tires rolling around in yeah. the desert. 
I do like the little switcheroo that happens later on when you see the lantern going off in the distance and the cars chasing the guys on the little tricycle things chasing after it and then it turns out bond had already gotten out somehow and is hiding behind a hill there and just steals the last little tricycle thing Yeah, that was good uh then we get a scene that seems right out of blues brothers even though i don't think blues brothers have come out yet where no bond I and so. i don't think saturday night live no, existed yet bond and tiffany are just driving around vegas and we just crash a whole bunch of police cars for no reason yeah, there's a really interminably long scene in a parking lot for yes. some reason with all the police cars tr- crashing. It's like, why? Yeah. yeah. I think Larry got him. Yeah. good j- Heck good of a job, job Larry. Larry. Uh, and then you have what actually is a really good stunt here where they put the car up on two wheels, but then they forgot which way the car was going. So they had to do that yes, weird thing in the camera. halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to me, this is almost as egregious as ruining that great stunt in The Man with the Golden Gun by putting in a slide whistle. Where, yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's a way you could have fixed that by flipping the film or just do it again. I, I don't know. Like, I mean, I guess you couldn't really flip the film. It, it would, but it's bad. Yeah, it's bad. The solution they come up came up with is yeah, not flipping good. the film wouldn't have worked very no. well. Not yeah. But you know, they they get away. I like how the sheriff tries to do it and just flips yeah. over. That's yeah, that's good. a good touch. Uh, we then find Bond and Tiffany in an aquarium bed. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Because it's must be very Vegas. Also, like it can't be that comfortable to lie. I wouldn't on. think so. I mean, there is that inflatable clear pillow, but still, yeah, none none of that looks comfortable. Like it, it would chafe. I would think it looks. Cool, it looks yeah but yeah no. It looks cool in the way that that some things from the seventies look cool. Like it reminds me of like those goldfish shoes that people wore that had like <laughs> goldfish in the shoe. You know, I don't know, you know, just very very weird in seventies. I know the one yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I want to stay in a hotel room with a giant, like, aquarium bed. <laughs> but anyway, yes. Uh, and Felix Slider comes in and says that basically Bond is stuck yeah. here because... Which I don't get. The government doesn't believe that Willard White is bad, so they won't let him do anything. <laughs> yeah, I Bond's basically put on house arrest here for, for some, some reason, reason, which lasts all of about three seconds. But we do get a nice scene there where, he's, where he sneaks out and gets on top of the elevator i, I like well. how he steals a flower from the arrangement to put in his tuxedo jacket before he goes out the window yeah um, that's nice yeah that shot of him on the elevator on the the top of the elevator is really good mm-hmm. it, it seems i mean now that i have the benefit of super high definition you can totally tell that's not sean connery but uh oh, yeah. i i do i do like that shot it's very well done um some weird like he goes rappelling around above some Rear projection here, because uh, we can't have a Bond film without rear, the rear projection. Rear projection isn't terrible. No, scene, no, though, it's I not don't bad. Think. But yeah, he uh, he does go. He does have an interesting sort of repelling system, yep. and then he gets up and Blofeld is expecting yeah, him. He winds up in the bathroom with a remote that has all these different cameras at the casino, including a camera right on the toilet. Why would you do that when you're in yeah. the room? Yeah, that's weird. And even if you're not in the room, why would anyone want a camera on the toilet? So Blofeld is using his his white voice, mm-hmm. so we don't know it's Blofeld until he swivels around in a reveal that's not really as cool when it's in an antique wooden chair. <laughs> True. I like how Blofeld has just multiple copies of the same ugly suit in different colors. Yeah. Sure. Well, that's how they can tell each other right. apart. 
So presumably, like, he tells Bond that this is the only copy, but it's not the only copy, I right? I would imagine, no. There are other Blofelds running around. Well, there's one that looks like Telly Savalas. <laughs> uh, there's, there's one that looks like Donald Pleasance. That's true, yeah. There's one that looks like the geologist from Dr. No. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, most of them, yeah. anyway. <laughs> uh, I like how all you need is this cassette tape with little letters that have lights on them that go up and down that that's how you can fake your voice that's pretty clever i guess yeah i just assumed he was good at making voices until he explained it was a technology thing yeah so i think this is where i come down on this movie is pretty well encapsulated in this scene is that it doesn't know what kind of movie it to be like there are some bits in here that i think are good with the scene i think and i think the way charles gray plays blofeld some of the time works really well he can be sinister mm -hmm. and then other times he's just downright silly yes and it and it just changes abruptly from one moment to the next and i don't get it like i wish they'd said they decided oh we're gonna do a serious movie or we're gonna do a kind of slightly silly but fun movie and just went with it it just doesn't work no. okay so now we have bond again blofeld should have just shot the guy <laughs> yeah but instead, he has him taken out to the desert and put in a pipe. Right. Because why not? How long is Bond in this pipe for? Yeah. And I, I noticed it's very convenient. Every, we see them laying another pipe, and there's a guy, like, standing uh, perpendicular to it, laying it in. So he would have seen inside that mm -hmm. pipe. It's convenient that the one piece of pipe Bond is in, they don't have anyone looking inside it. Yes. Because the next thing we know, Bond wakes up inside a perfectly completed pipeline. Not quite. It still has the thing that's welding it shut. Okay. But yes. Also, where is the light coming inside this pipe? Yeah, there is that problem. Because <laughs> you can see that, you see Bond, there's light shining on Bond, there's light shining on the rat. Yeah. Yeah, the only light should be from that little thing that's going around sparking. Yeah. Right. But we didn't see that yet. We should point out that this is the scene where we get Chekhov's Tart's handkerchief. Yes. Honestly, I had like completely forgotten that he uses that to recognize them oh, okay later. uh and i'm just and i was just like why is why did this perfume happen <laughs> yeah but now we know i mean yeah we both said that we don't like much about this movie but i think that's actually a good setup mm -hmm. i also want to comment that in the scene where they're putting bond in the trunk um mr wint is wearing the most 70s shirt in a, in existence but anyway oh yeah <laughs> it's I don't know. There was that outfit last movie. No, it was still the 60s, though. Ah, good point. Good point. It's because this is brown. See, it has very thick brown stripes on it. That's what makes it the 70s, I guess. It does yeah. make it very 70s. You are not yeah. wrong. Um, uh, all right. So Bond gets out of the pipe, and then we have a scene <laughs> where everyone is wearing really short yes. ties. Bond is wearing the shortest, fattest pink tie ever. It's... The opposite of a Donald Trump tie. Yes, it is. I mean, if you ignore the, the time when he looked racist Japanese, this is probably the worst look Bond ever has. <laughs> That's pretty <Yeah>. bad. <laughs> you, you, know, you know something is bad when we both call it out in our notes. <laughs> he calls Blofeld and pretends to be uh, Saxby. Right. And says he saw Bond in the casino and we need to move... We need to move Willard White. And... <laughs> conveniently blofeld says where yes. white is <laughs> oh he's fine in his home in the blah 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 really yeah 
So my question is, how did Sax, the real Saxby, find out that um, Blofeld wanted White killed, since he wasn't actually on this call? I don't know. Um, and it wouldn't, presumably it would not have been Saxby who would get that call, because Blofeld thinks he just talked to him. Yeah. Right, yeah. But it was Sax, but Saxby does, anyway. But, anyway. Well, Saxby does turn up, but not before we meet Bambi and Thumper. <laughs> yes. This is just bad. Yeah, there's nothing good about this. No. I mean, Bond gets the crap beaten out of him for a while and then falls into the pool and then somehow manages to get one up on these two women. And I just, I hate, like, I just hate everything about yeah, this yeah, scene. Yeah, it's terrible. And I, it really bugs me that every time one of them does something, like, and now it's your turn, Bambi. Yeah. Like, that just drives me nuts. I don't no, know. Why. It's... It shouldn't be that annoying, but it yeah. is. I dislike everything about this, and I can't really find words to explain what it is I dislike about it. I just know that none of this works. It's just bad. Okay, so while Bond is holding Bambi and Thumper under the water, Lighter shows up, and his tie is even thicker than Bond's. <laughs> I guess that was the style then. Yeah, I oh, guess. My goodness, yes. <laughs> and now we get to meet the real but, Willard yeah. White. Yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy Dean, Dean, Sausage King. <laughs> I was kind of hoping there would be some sausages at some point, but there weren't. Yeah, no. So, and Jimmy Dean looks really happy to be outside, outside, and that's when Saxby takes a shot at him, and the CIA kills Saxby, and there's some completely believable blood on his chest. Yeah, I was going to say, they kill Saxby and, by uh, throwing ketchup at him. Uh. Yeah. And then Willard White's like, Saxby? Tell him he's fired. It's like, uh, I think he's dead now. Here's where we find Q uh, ripping off the casino. Mr. Q. Mr. Q ripping off the casino. Yeah. And and <laughs> Tiffany sees Blofeld sneaking out in drag right. and gets captured. Okay, so what's worse for you, Blofeld in drag or James Bond as a clown? Oh, that's <clears throat> tough. They're both yeah. pretty bad. <laughs> we'll 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 ponder that one for a few more weeks. Yeah. And like I so what I don't get is, you know, we have Willard White's stupid line about Bert Saxby telling him he's fired. They, they couldn't mm -hmm. decide, is is Willard White competent or not? Because some of these scenes, he yeah. seems like he's with it and knows what's going on and is sort of in charge. And then other times, he's a complete buffoon. Yep. Like all the scenes here where he's talking to Shane Rimmer, who turns up again for the second time in Bond, and he shows him the little drawing and everything. And so he just sounds like an idiot. But then other times, he just seems he competent. I don't, I don't understand. I think he's supposed to be cop. Yeah. Maybe it's just because it's Jimmy Dean. I don't know. The way Jimmy Dean <laughs> read the, the, Just his voice, the way he's... You know, it, I, yeah. We find out that they've launched something into orbit, presumably under White's orders, that it wasn't really. Uh, we get what feels like a ripoff of You Only Live Twice, frankly, a lot of this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this dinky little satellite that goes up in orbit with diamonds all over it. Because those blazers will blow things up. Yeah. And, yeah, it's a thing. Yep. But we find out where it is because Jimmy Dean doesn't have any locations in Baja. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. Baja. And this is coming up to the end of the movie that, in an interview, because Richard Maybaum's original concept, I think, was a boat chase on Lake Mead of some, si some sort. And then eventually it was going to involve Blofeld being trapped in hoover dam or something and 
it en ends up as in his own words as being an interminable thing on an oil rig which i don't disagree with it's not good yeah i agree no first we see a few places getting blown up here with some hilarious background acting, I think, in all these cases. It's, yeah. I just don't get it. Mm -mm. Like, why is this all here? Blofeld's plan, I guess, works? I mean, he's gonna blow up it seems... stuff because he wants to get money. And... Somehow? And we're led to believe that Dr. Metz is a pacifist who built this laser as a kind of... To destroy nuclear bombs. Yeah. 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 Um... It's yeah, weird. it's very weird. So, yeah, Bond's on the... There's just so much stuff that happens on this Well, it, it takes rig. forever. We switch the tape. The tape doesn't get switched. The tape gets switched again, maybe? Yeah. We never actually know for sure if the tape got switched again. No, because they never use the weapon again. Yeah. Uh, but I do know that Plofeld should have checked what was on the tape before ordering it to uh, Yes, that, that would have been a good idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to call out and I made a note of this earlier too, that the set designer or whoever's in charge of the signage in this movie had a lot of fun. Um, there's, if in if doubt, in doubt ask. ask. It, there's, that one. there's a sign. So in the scene where Metz and uh, Blofeld are in his office and they're about to go down to the control room, they walk out and there's a sign on the door that says, no pollution, not any, take every precaution. And, and Yes. <laughs> and then earlier when, one. when, Bond is pretending to be Klaus Hergesheimer. There's a sign on the on the lab door a wall that just says think. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the if in doubt ask one is the the one that really caught my eye for the first time. Yeah, and I I, I saw the no yeah, one. Not any. Oh, and there's a walk don't run one on the sign on this behind them too. I like the line, if we destroy Kansas, the world may not hear about it for years. Yeah, that's good. But yeah, overall, this scene is just It's bad. bad, it's long, it makes no sense. Uh, we get the, again, another wonderful, and I'm using that term with sarcasm, wonderful line where uh, Tiffany has the tape and she's trying to switch it and gets caught because it's sticking out of her bikini bottom. And she's showing, she's showing more, more cheek, cheek than, than usual. usual, but no, it's the, it's the line later where he says, such a pity, such nice cheeks too, if only they were brains. Which is just, oh god, come on. And when Bond, when Bond just calls her a stupid twit when she tells him that she switched it the first time. Yeah. Well, or he walks up to her and just goes, bitch, and then gives her the, sticks the tape in her pants. Well, that was... No, I know, but still. Yeah, sake, but yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, so, we're led to believe that this one little balloon that Bond lets loose is the, the key signal to everything here, and they start uh, attacking with helicopters, and Blofeld decides to get in his little submarine thing to escape. His... Oh, he used a really word... Bathosub. Yeah, Bathosub. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, he used a weird word for yeah. it. <laughs> and Bond takes control of the crane that is lowering it down and decides to have a little fun with uh, Blofeld. We never actually see what happens to Blofeld. Like, it's presumed that he dies, but we know yeah. he doesn't. No. I like how the countdown guy keeps yes. counting down even as Blofeld's sub is being banged into the control room. And I love the five minutes and counting like just the way he counts yes. uh is is hilarious and it's like they got freaking henry kissinger to do it yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah countdown guy is really the best part of this entire ending i think 
Oh, absolutely. We get the incredibly stupid bit of Tiffany trying to use a machine gun and it knocking her off the platform into the water, which, again, is just yep. terrible. Very yeah. terrible. Yeah. And Bond asks her, tells her to jump and sees that she's already yep. gone. And yeah, then Bond, of bad. course, does a perfect dive into the water. And, uh... And we don't see Tiffany anywhere when nope. he does that. So, like, did she die? Well, <laughs> no, but... <laughs> um, yeah, it's... So, you know, I've, I've said how much I, I actually like them earlier. For all the problems I have with this movie, I like the last five minutes or so, for the most part. Because we're, we find out that they're, they're going to sail back to England, I guess, uh, on a cruise ship. So, like, did people still do the thing where everybody stands along the edge and waves? I don't know, maybe in the '70s. Like, I feel like cruise cruising should have become more commonplace at that point. You would think, because I can tell you, when I went on a cruise earlier this year, that I was going to say nobody uh, threw ticker tape at you and stuff. <laughs> oh, no. that's disappointing. Yeah, <laughs> not really. I didn't need that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but it didn't happen. So it's like. It's like, is that really, or is that just like something that in the movies they assume happens yeah. on cruises? Um, so I've never been on a cruise. I have looked at going on cruises. Okay. I've looked at, you know, the details involved in booking a cruise and that sort of thing. I wouldn't advise it right now. Well, no. How much is this suite that they're in? All the money. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean most, most cabins are like the size of a closet. Yeah. No, no, no. This costs so much yeah. money. This cabin is enormous, and they have the huge balcony. It's You can barely yeah. even call it a balcony. It's more like a deck. I mean, I will say that there's Willard White logos on everything, so I'm assuming this is his cruise ship and his suite. I assume so, because he says they can tell the captain, and he'll make them uh, sail in circles. Right, if they... Or having too much fun and don't want to come get off. Yeah. So yeah, I guess this is like the fancy, the special suite. So, but yeah, yeah. if it was rented out to someone, oh, I mean, it would certainly yeah. be like it would certainly be five digits. Mm -hmm. Again, twenty twenty money in nineteen seventy one, it might right. not have been. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is this is a twenty five thousand dollar cabin, at least. Or yeah, more than that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, they're. They're convalescing out on the on the uh, the balcony, and weirdly, it almost sounds like Tiffany wants to propose to Bond at this point, which makes no sense. It does, yeah, yeah. Um, but they're interrupted unexpectedly because a giant feast of food is coming through the door. Yep, and Bond recognizes that it is actually our old friends Winton Kid because he smells the aftershave. Right, and this is something that it feels like. A literary bond thing and it and it's the definitely claret something thing. that bond yeah the claret thing i like the claret thing a lot where you know he's sampling the wine and he says oh well you'd have thought they would have given us a claret with this fancy dinner and mr wince says something along the lines of oh well we, we don't have very many clarets in stock and bond says the wine you just gave me is a claret to show that you clearly don't know what you're doing and don't aren't an, an imposter here which I, I think I think that works well, mm -hmm. because and then he says, you know, and I've smelled your aftershave before, and both times I smelled a rat. That's a good line. Yeah. So he doesn't. Yeah. I also think this is fairly brutal. What happens to Mister Kid at this point? Yeah, immolated. Yeah, like 
I mean, I don't know what's on these shish kebab sticks that they become flaming like that. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering he, about it. Like, that. holds them over the sterno candle and they catch fire. I, I don't know how that works, but... Uh, it must have been very greasy. Very greasy, yeah. And then Bond breaks a bottle of brandy or something and throws it at him. And he catches us on fire and runs around and jumps off the edge. Yeah, and you see him in the water and he looks completely charred. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's surprisingly brutal, I think, for especially a film of the tone that we've been having for this. And it's convenient that Tiffany throws the dessert, the yeah. Bomba Surprise. Uh, yeah, which is a thing. Okay. That works out well because it literally means surprise bomb. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then Bond, like, grabs... I'm not entirely... How does it <laughs> work? He, like, well, he... grabs his arms through his crotch and yep. ties the bomb to him. And we have a really creepy look on his face, on uh, Wint's face when it's doing it. Like, I, I feel like they're trying to make it look like he's, like kind of enjoying this because he's the evil gay yeah and then he throws him overboard and he blows up before he lands which means they set way too short a fuse on that bomb <laughs> yeah that's true because if bond hadn't noticed the aftershave i still don't think they would have been out of the room before that exploded maybe not i mean it, it works well as a kind of second climax to the film mm -hmm. but can't you just shoot them in their cabin i mean there's so many... Well, that's just a recurring thing over and over and over <laughs> yeah, again. You could have just shot the guy. Why do you need to put a bomb in a dessert? I mean, we don't know how the little old lady died, but they never just shoot anybody. They put the scorpion in the in the dentist, and they blow up the plane and the helicopter. And mm -hmm. there are elaborate ways of killing people. I guess they were gonna. They were originally gonna put him in the crematorium. Yeah, it's always an elaborate anyway. way. It's yeah. always some ridiculous thing, but. Yep. That is Diamonds are, f Diamonds are Forever. Yes, it is. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I've i never held this high this film in high regard. Uh, I still don't, but I think I enjoyed it more than I expected to, at least parts of it. Maybe because I was dreading the film that's going to come after this one. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not one of the better films we're going to watch. No. And it's the first in of three... Tom Mankiewicz written Bond films we're gonna get in a row here. Um, yeah. Which one's your favorite? <laughs> of the three? Ooh. Of these three, which one's your favorite? Um, I'm gonna cheat and say Not Live and Let Die. Because uh, that's easily the worst of the three, I think. Yeah. Uh, like, there are parts of The Man with the Golden Gun that I like too, and parts that I can't stand. Yeah, same. So... I feel like those, you know, without having watched The Man with the Golden Gun in a long time and having just watched this film, it's a little hard to say, but I imagine I'm going to feel similarly about the two. Yeah, I, I think I would say of these three, Golden Gun is probably my favorite, but that's damning with, or I mean, that's praising with faint damn. <laughs> <laughs> my, my gut tells me the same thing, and I think part of it might be that the Man with the Golden Gun at least has some locations that are interesting. I find this film kind of ugly and dull. Yeah. Uh, and that's not, I mean, I, and I don't want to insult people from Las Vegas because I know some, I have some friends from Las Vegas and this isn't even the same Las Vegas. This is still very much desert Las Vegas. It's oh, not yeah. nearly as built up as it is now. It's just not an exciting location to go to 
for a Bond mm-hmm. film, as far as I'm concerned. I think they spend... I wish they'd spend more time in, in Amsterdam, frankly. I think yeah. they could have done some interesting things there. I agree. Amsterdam would have been interesting. Uh, Bond film, no. There are there are films that work very well in Las Vegas. Ocean's Eleven, for instance. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. I think... Well, it's also... It might be just because I'm familiar with Las Vegas, too. It's like, it's not exotic. Mm-hmm. I've been there. Yeah. I mean, there, there's something to be said, said for that. I've been to the Bahamas, and the Bahamas still works for me as a Bond location. So. I have been to the Bahamas, uh, but it was a very terrible port, so I don't really count it. Oh. No, that's too bad. Uh, I don't... You've probably never been to the cruise ship port in Freeport in the Bahamas. Um, Can't say that I have, no. I wouldn't recommend it. It's basically an industrial <laughs> park. Oh, dear. Uh, doesn't sound very enjoyable at all. <laughs> no, clearly wasn't. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So this is the. I would say we're hitting a bit of a of a rut here mm-hmm. with the next few weeks here. Uh, we do come out of it eventually. Um, <laughs> I do yeah. think honestly, I am impressed. If when you think about it, you've got these three movies. I'm impressed that the franchise continued. Well, and especially since I think it was after Golden Gun where Harry Saltzman had all of his problems and had to leave. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then from then on, it was just Cubby Broccoli doing everything. Uh, the fact that they managed to rescue the franchise the way in the way that they did, I, I think, is is a, a testament to you know the people making the spy who loved me. And it gives me hope for uh, No Time to Die. Yeah, I mean, so many things have gone on with that film that I don't even know what we're gonna get out of it at this point. Nope, but I'm still cautiously optimistic. Yeah, it can't be worse than Spectre, can it? Don't say that. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I could always edit it out and then I never said that. <laughs> you still put that out in the universe, man. I did. All right, well, thank you for listening to us this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at Podspiel, or you can send us an email at spielpodcast at gmail.com. And then you can also find me on Twitter at Tyrannicus. You can find me on Twitter at Listening to Film. I think that's more or less all we have to say on this one. But uh, Licensed Spiel will return for Live and Let Die. Oh boy. <laughs>